Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Charity Stripe on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. We're back. It's the Daily Stripe, April 3rd, Championship Monday. Nikki Stacks, Kreider, Alexander Tosman, Oxtopolis, Joshua Fisher's not here. So we called in the reliever here. Chris Dickerson, farm to show. What's going right. on? We had a we had a scratch in the lineup. Paul Yanish went down with sickness. And so yeah, you know, we're down getting, with the sickness. We, yeah. So we yeah, called down to call down to three A. You know, here I am, you know, getting my first uh big league appearance on uh Bugs going around. Show it is. It's going on the bug uh, it's going around. You know, I learned that in the drop off line this morning at uh at uh KB or kindergarten drop off that, you know, this stomach bug is, is hitting quite a few people. So, um, Giannis, if you're out there, thoughts and prayers, prayers. <laughs> jinx, stay strong, man. <laughs> well, we wanted to talk a little bit about the new rule changes. Obviously that was the, the talk of the town all off season, but opening weekend is over. It's done. Uh, most teams played four games here and I want to go down the list of how it affected each category. So in 2023, 50 games were played this, this weekend. In 2022, 49. So pretty close. Uh, time of game. Um, 2022 was 309 for the average time of game. 2023 was 238. Huge win. Massive win. Massive. Massive win. Those are the types of games that you could only like pray for on a daily basis. You know, we used to call those Maddox games back back in the day. And like those are the games like those getaway days, those games when you you've played 11, 12 straight and you'd be like, "Dude, can we get a quick one? Can we get like a Maddox game which is that 2 2 hour 20 minute, 2 hour 30 minute?" Um, but I mean it's just so relieving just being able to just continue going, being on defense, being the clubhouse, being the it's just everything is just it just moves better. It, it feels better. You get out, you get to go spend time with your family, you get to go to dinner, you get back on, you get on the plane sooner, you get into the next hotel sooner. And that's, that's a huge win. And again, like, as you'll get into it, didn't, nothing got compromised. And no. that's all we could have asked for with, with the time, with that time and with the clock is locking in people to be engaged, um, you know, more consistently, by not having these three-hour, thirty-minute, three-hour, fifteen-minute games, yeah, um, but not compromising the on-field play and performance, and so that that stat in itself is is of, of utmost utmost importance. So the Maddox being Greg, right? Because he's just dealing. Is that what it is? Like yeah, he just like made quick work of yeah, quick work on the line. Yeah. So between like him, Burley, yeah, him and Burley were all-time greats as far as like pace of the game. Get the ball, throw. Get the ball, throw. You know, left, right, change, roll over, one, two, three, 12 pitch innings, and we're out. And those are the types of games like you would expect a quick game because right. it was like a, a no BS, get yeah. on the mound, go. Um, but, you know, the ball was put in play, lots of outs, and usually that's what you're going to be looking at. And those were the games like, okay, we knew it was going to be a quick one. We'll take this one. You know, it's kind of a blow after, you know, after a, th- a three a three game series or a 10 day road trip. It's like sometimes you need yeah. that. Two two hour yeah. thirty minute game, but none of these. I, I didn't feel like we missed any of the bats either in opening no. weekend. Like 
that Red Sox Orioles game where the Red Sox had a walk off ten to nine, right? And what was the what was the runtime on that game? It like wasn't that uh, yeah, bad. So that was like a, I think it was like a two forty five game or something. We were watching the Red Sox game and sitting here at Fenway on a day game. Like those are usually four hour games, you know. And like for the fans' perspective, like finally, like it's it's moving. But talking about some offense here, um, let's talk a little bit about the batting averages and all that um, on base percentage slugging. So in twenty twenty two. The opening weekend batting average was 230, and then it moved up to 245. And, of course, you can say that's probably because of the shift. Most of those are singles, but that is a huge win as well. More excitement in baseball. As a hitter, I'm sure you can attest to that. Yeah, I mean, going back, and I, I think about the the Joey's commercial about the about the shift, and it's just like, oh, you know, ball in the four hole. Well, that's, that's a hit, yeah. Did you hear? There's just no shift. Okay, cool. But, yeah, you did have a lot of those. You had, you know, balls in the four hole, ball, balls in the six hole that are traditionally – you know, you know, used were hits that yep. would have been gobbled up by um, the third baseman playing in the hole, and you know got those back. But with that being said, not only great more action, more guys on base, but guys are starting to take advantage, and I think that's the most important part. We're just not like you're, we're not just getting to first base and we're just sitting there. You know, they're giving you the, the the no run sign, and there's no emphasis on the run game. Guys are getting on, and they're putting they're putting that to action. Mm. And again, the secondary part of that in that is is this great benefit of more action not just the guys getting to first but it's what's going to happen after that then we have balls of the hole that we have ball down the line and that going from first to third we have this excitement of people constantly in motion um and it's a great thing for you know it's a great thing as you're going to talk about with the with the stolen bases the 80 percent 83 percent jump in uh stolen bases is phenomenal because as paul and i mentioned early um in one of our shows like that was going to be one one of the things to look out for and as a you know as a as a base as a you know a plus base runner and a guy who had to steal bases the more savvy guys are going to take this pitch clock to advantage yeah and they're going to be able to essentially time this out right once those first two pickoffs go over pitcher has no choice but to go so you're sitting on first base you're like three two all right i'm gone and that's what we that's what we saw. Just the advantage of knowing that when he's gonna go. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. You're not there's no there's no doubt or um yeah, there's no just no doubt of him making additional pickoff. He's like, Okay, I know yeah. this is where I'm going, get a good read on the pitcher and we're gone. It's less guessing. Way less guessing. Yeah. And the and honestly, the if you really look at the stolen bases, most of them weren't that close because you can get such good jumps that I mean they're thrown down, but they I mean they're safe by they're they're not bang bang by any means. Right. Yeah. Good about these catchers, and obviously we haven't even mentioned the bases being bigger too. That adds a little bit, you know, as the slide comes in. Um, really quickly, on base percentage went up um, about 15 points, and then um, slugging didn't go up that much. Um, obviously, because we're talking about singles, but the stolen base percentage is what we're talking about here. So in 2022, 29 out of 43 safe stolen bases, uh, which, which is 67.4 percent, and then 2023. 70 out of 84, so almost double the amount of attempts, but 83.3 success rate. That is insane. I feel so bad for catchers right now. And that's where and that's where I'm going to. It's not just the fact that you're you, you're utilizing the game by having more more runners on to have the the potential of putting people in motion. It's the success rate in knowing that these guys are getting much better jumps based on that based on that. So when yeah. I said that they're not close. Like I meant, they're not close because you're you're reading it like there's no apprehensiveness. No, yeah. it's one, two. Okay, 
we're gone. And so that's where that that success rate comes in is because it just that's the that's a system that it's created and it's it's awesome. But for these smaller teams, you you saw all across the league that these teams are just grinding it out, putting runners in motion. You've had a couple hit and runs where balls being put in more play. small ball. You're putting ball. You're putting the runners in motion. Balls are going into play. It's causing havoc. You know, balls that are going off the glove. Guys are going first to third. So you know, getting these guys with the emphasis on base running, and they mentioned that with you know with the Reds is um, the emphasis on on base running, and it 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 hampered them, you know, on the defensive side, there was a little bit of, um, you know, it hampered them a little bit with some outfield play, but they made up for it on, you know, with savvy base running. Um, but all around again, huge success, um, like literally success 83%, which is wild given they almost double, you know, double the number of base, just the volume, but also the success rate. What do you yeah. think? Huge? What do you think this means for like roster creation going forward? Like obviously speed guys are good, but, it's always, I don't know how much it was valued as much as it is now. And then same thing with catchers, like how, how much you can be looking at their arms compared to how you used to, you know what I mean? Like obviously the catcher calls the game, but you also need a guy who has a hose out there. Like he, you know, it, it, you need a hose out there regardless, but there are some guys that definitely aren't going to have success at all this year. And they might need to start looking at different catchers. Oof, that's a tough one. Cause at the end of the day, you can't steal first base, right? You know, you still got to hit catcher still got to hit they have to do their they have to do their part you can't just make this transformation from a defensive minded catcher to where offensive catchers become so prevalent and important in the game you know yeah. guys like Adley Rutschman and that the new generation of these catchers that can hit JT Real Muto um so I think that's not a case I think they're going to go in the that the strategy in, in finding catching talent is going to remain the same guys that can do it on the offensive side and defensive side but you're not going to kind of restructure the scouting, mm -hmm. um, the, the the scouting uh, strategy, just to defend against increased base running, because you're not you're going to give that you 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 can't compromise the offensive value in some of these catchers by right. with with that. But with that being said, um, I think it's just that's just how it's going to remain. And at the end of the day, it's you have also have to think that it's not necessarily always on the catcher, right? And you, when you break down, too. yeah, and when you break down. You know all these numbers and analytics ba uh, with base running. It's like how many were off the catcher, how many how many were on the pitcher. So usually there's a metric where, back in the day, it was like anything was a one four, a one four to one one five. You can say that he that was off the pitcher because it was because it was yeah. an extended extended delivery, or like a slide. If it's a slide step, and he's his pop time is like a two two, that's off the that's on the catcher. So that balance is still going to be there, but I think they're just going to be at a disadvantage knowing that once you use those those pickoffs that you're at the mercy yeah. of the of the pitch right. clock and, and guys being super savvy. More speed guys in the lineup too, you think? No, I uh, no, again, you know, ceiling for, you know, for hitting hitting these days is hard enough. I think you, you got to get on first base in order for your speed to do anything, so you're always you know, always got to keep that in what keep that in mind. What about moving away from like just having power bats in your lineup like we're a team where you're talking about playing small ball right like i could i could imagine that some of this is to drive like more parity so if the teams that don't have you know five to six guys you can all go over 25 home runs listen, like and that's gonna be my favorite part about this season is that because i'm always curious i'm always just waiting i'm 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 just I'm waiting for the complete restructure of the of the Yankee philosophy where it's like you can't just go get these big bats and expect to just, you know, 
get guys on first and second and hit a three-run home run. Right. Because there's going to be guy, there's going to be teams like Chicago and Miami and all this, you know, these these young scrappy groups that are just going to run them into the ground. And I'll always use San Francisco as a as a as a key as a key point there. The when they won their world championships, they played small ball. Like yep. they ran people in the ground. They played defense hit and run, put the ball in play, and just made stuff happen. They didn't have an enormous payroll. It's it's still about playing baseball, and it's going to be even more prevalent getting back to, getting back to that, you know, that 2000, you know, 2010, 2012, um, you know, era of baseball where, you know, out the shift and we're not just sitting back, you know, going, you know, relying on three, four, five, and six. Right. Um, so – It'll it'll be it'll be great. I think we're going to be looking at like lineups from from the eight from the eighties, where right. you know guys aren't going to hit 20, 30 home runs. You might have, you know, fifteen, twenty great defense can run the bases. You know, can yeah. just kind of cause havoc. And and I think that's the and that was that the eighties and nineties. That was the, the golden era. The golden era. Well, maybe not the nineties. Everybody's juiced in the nineties. <laughs> yeah, that was, in the 90s. Yeah. It, it got different in the 90s. I just, yeah, absolutely sauced. I, you know, one of my favorite things to do is just go and watch uh, old home run derbies. Oh my god, from the 90s. Ridiculous. And I'm just, I'm looking at this stuff like, if you've ever been to these ballparks, you would understand like how far these balls are being hit. And we're like, I just, I don't see how that's po- possible. Like Juan Gonzalez and in Camden Yards going upper deck, and me, someone who's played left field, to see how far that is, like that's. It's insane. The fact that Ken Griffey Jr. was just doing it, the only one not not juicing. Right. Winning a home run derby too. Didn't even lift weights. Yep. That's absurd. Wait, we were um we were texting with just like a, a group of buddies. Actually it might have just been me, Nick, and Josh, about if you're gonna hit what? Group of buddies. We are a group of buddies, yeah. If you were gonna hit a walk off home run, what would be the best park to do it at? Actually, like no, what would the specific type of walk off? So we were saying like at Wrigley, like hitting it out of the park. Or like hitting it over the green monster, or into the bay, like into the for, bay. Yeah, oh yeah, the bay's San pretty Francisco. sick. That's why I think the bay was kind of that kept popping up. Yeah, the bay's pretty sick. Um, that park in that park in general is is super special. Um, or you could go to Pittsburgh and just hit in like an absolute mammo, and have that one hop into the yep. into the Allegheny because that's an absolute that's an absolute tank to get it in there. So I would I would go Pittsburgh. Um, I think we like you know, the like Astros a Friday too. night. Yeah, like a oh, Friday like on, track on the track at the Astros Stadium. Oh yeah, that's a good one too. Like a pool. Yeah, like a pool holes off mm-hmm. of um, a Brad Lidge back in the day. Yeah, where the, yeah, where it just completely silences the crowd. Yeah, up onto the railroad tracks or the Solaire home run. That oh was, yeah, that was a yeah. Like if that was a walk off, that would be that would be ridiculous. Um, oh, then Alvarez. Yeah. But it's just You're not done. the same. It's not. It's not the same. We're going going lefty as opposed to righty. But I would. I would go. Fingers crossed that Pittsburgh gets for the sake of PNC Park that Pittsburgh gets back to where that place is sold out on a Friday night. Um, with that with that setting in the background, you know, hitting a walk off. Yeah, I would. That would be. That would be sick. I think uh, Josh threw out the Mets for the Apple too, which is whatever. It's kind yeah, of yeah. I threw out. I threw out Brewers. Hitting the slide obviously is a pretty cool thing. Or the into the race tank, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, that thing is filthy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last stat that passed him throughout on his tweet was the number of pitch clock violations. Obviously, there was none in 2022, but in 2023 there were 40 pitch clock violations so far, and that is less than one per game, 0.8 per game. That is a huge win, massive win. Huge. Again, biggest concern going in the first two weeks. 
um, our first show talking about the, the pitch, the pitch violations, but watching, watching how uncomfortable guys were, um, getting in the box and, you know, guys kind of sitting back and, you know, taking a, a little bit too long with the, you know, with their adjustment, just getting their placement, all this stuff. And the proof is in the pudding. You're reading off the numbers the numbers don't lie. And the one thing that, that kept coming up is on a comparative basis, you've looked at how the minor leagues went. And for the first, I believe the first three or four weeks, it was like there was X amount of violations and then it tapered off significantly over, over the next or for the rest of the season. Right. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened this year. You get the six weeks during spring training. It was an absolute zoo the first week and everybody was <laughs> up in arms like, Oh my gosh, this pick is ruining baseball, blah, blah, blah. Look how big it is. I have anxiety. Blah, 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 blah. And you know what? By the end, there are guys that were like self-admitted. Hey, I, I'm, you know, I'm doing my best to get on yeah. board with it. Hosmer came out and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm doing my best to kind of, to get into this routine to where I can get locked in within, you know, in the, in the, um, you know, within the, the pitch clock. Um, but having point eight is again Huge. it's a big win, and then yeah. and again not compromising. It's going to go down too. Not affecting the game, and that's going to continue to taper off as we move forward. So I feel like if we have this conversation again in May, it'll be even less. So I'm going to make a bold prediction. I'm going to say it's going to be, I'm going to say it's going to be point four. I'm assuming it's going to cut and be cut in half. I'm going to say it's going to be point four by the time we have this next conversation in in May. Wow. I agree. I, you know, look at the end of the day, like they're professionals, like they could adjust to that. It's an easy adjustment, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's great for baseball. We're super excited. Uh, some storylines I think we want to touch on here. Hunter Green, your guy, Cincinnati Reds, hit 105. Talk a little bit about that. I think his – I mean, I, I saw Paul Paul text me. He was like, Hunter hit 105. Like, wh- where? Where on what on what gun? And then I was thinking – I was like, which – was his stat cast? Like, what, what was it registered sure. on? Because – Surely you can't have, you, you know, um, Great American Ballpark. It was like, what's you know, what's going on with the with the radar gun? Yeah, there is it is just coincidence that you have the the fastest pitches of all time in the same ballpark, um, you know. But I didn't think Hunter as a starter sitting at 100, 100, 101. but to make a jump out of to one hundred five is like it, it's crazy. I I saw I played behind Chapman when he's hit one hundred two, and I've seen one hundred three. Um, so it's like, okay, what if, you know, you, you know, did you feel like there was a, actually a distinct difference? Like when you're playing behind that and you can see, you can like yeah. 103 from, from 99 to 103. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's just, it's just a, it's a different, it's a different it's a, zip. Like, it's a different, it's a different level. It's, um, it's not just so much the, the, the pace and the, the velocity in which you, once you see it like visually, but it's how the pitcher, it's how the, the hitter reacts. It's just like, got it. I'm sure some of it's also psychological. You know it's coming in at 103 too, right? Like the physical aspect of it, sure. Yeah, you know he's throwing absolute cheese, but there's some where it just, you can see the hitter catches him off guard where he's just not even close. And you look up at the board and like, that was, that was absolute smoke. But yeah, that 105, yeah, down, down in the dirt. um, You know, I'm not sure that was an anomaly. You know, he's, he's capable of it, but you know, both 105.3, Chapman hitting 105.8. But the the fun the best part about it is that they were both against Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, it's insane. Yeah. So Andrew McCutcheon both has <laughs> almost wore one, right? The yeah. So he almost wore the one hundred five point eight, 
and you're throwing out radio he, stations right now and so yeah and, yeah so that was a brush back and you can tell like i said it's one thing you know anytime like 100 coming in that's what but 105.8 almost 106 it was like you he came it was like he went into like this uh like almost like a like a cocoon because he came he rolled off of it took his helmet off and he had to go out and take a breather for a minute which was like i mean that's it's scary stuff but do you recall yeah, I mean, the fastest pitch you ever saw and who it was yeah it was chapman it was yeah chapman 101 no 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 that's not true there was this kid in a ball his name is julio de la cruz and he was five foot eleven he was all legs, and I swear his his ass was so high he could like grab his wallet by like reaching <laughs> over his shoulder. But he had these arms that were like crazy long, and he hit he hit one hundred two. We were in we were playing in West Michigan, and he hit one hundred two. That was the that was the fastest I've, I've I ever saw. Uh, and then the next pitch was like one hundred one, and like hit it off my knuckles, and ended up basically being like a, a like a push bunt between uh, the pitcher and first. But it's like I said, it's a different, it's a different sound. And yeah. It's just a different pop going from nine, from 98, 99 to, to one Oh two. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. But you don't want to see, you don't want to see one Oh one from, from the left side either. Like that's it's no. terrifying. Not at all. Any other uh, storylines uh, jump out to you from this weekend? No, I think that's, I think that's the biggest one um, is the rules. I think we're going to see a lot less chatter about it. I think, with the with the amount of chaos that was happening early on the season and just the just the um, you know the criticism over what's happening, I think that can hopefully go to rest. Is that the game ultimately is not going to be compromised? Um, you know, on base percentage is up, which is huge, which means that guys aren't feeling rattled in there. They're having enough time to settle. They're not swinging at bad pitches. They're they're taking their pitches. They're seeing their pitches. Um, runs are being scored. Bases are being stolen. It's mm-hmm you know, the game is somehow is normalized itself. And then the game time again is huge because, you know, who wants to sit for another hour and a half with no booze after <laughs> seven in the seven, yeah. after the, yeah, the no. concessions close in the seventh inning. Well, and clearly the managers are managing for the new rule changes too. Yeah. Right? The, 100%. How many times they're sending the guys on the steals is mm-hmm. that's an indicator of that. Right. And the spring training, big credit to that, like that they were able to kind of work through the kinks of it. And now it's turned into a better product weekend one so also all three of our teams padres reds and texas rangers guy we are all leading the division or tied for the division for for y'all's cases so yeah, any uh teams that are surprising you i know it's a long season but anyone shock you this this up off season or this weekend no um no i think you know with the rangers i think that's that's a good start i, I think it's one of those teams that has a lot of eyeballs just because of the offseason spending right uh i think what was really shocking was uh the rockies taking two of three from the padres like that two of four two of four, two of four. Yeah, still four. you have a, a team that was ranked i believe the rockies were in the bottom five in the mlb power rankings yeah it's not a like bad lineup though like cj crone charlie blackman chris bryant the thing is, Charlie Blackman, for some reason, I don't know if you could speak to this, but he hits better against the Padres than anyone. And I don't know what it is about us, but he's hitting like almost 480 against us in his career. It's insane. So it's like a Chipper Jones versus the Mets type of deal. Yeah. Where for like life. Or like he's, he's, like, a or he's like, like a 360 hitter. He's like Barry Bonds against the Padres. 
Yeah, I mean, well, it, with I a think, beard and from the left side. Yeah, or he's, yeah, <laughs> off the left side. I think that just happens. Um, but I think that was, you know, that might be like an early red flag, especially for you know a team that's you know twenty eight, twenty nine down there with the with the Reds and the Nationals and in the A's to go against what is being predicted as the the World Series champion. Um, so, you know. But that's that's great, and we try to make the point on the show about you know getting off to a good start, um, and how hopefully this will this will be this this change where you don't have that ability to stack your the lineup with um, with big time you know power hitting big free agents, yeah. and it's going to start to take these young pro- programs that have top minor league pro or um, prospects, and that they've they're starting to come through the system. They can they can run, and can go back to a different type of baseball. Yep. Uh, that you know that teams just traditionally aren't aren't playing, and as you said, if you don't have that defensive catcher, are some of these teams going to be ex- exposed to that? Um, and I think that's going to be that's going to be really interesting. To whereas yep. you're not going to just be able to sit back and just be an offensive catcher who's expected to hit 30, 30 home runs in a lineup. Like you are going to have young teams that are going to be on the move yeah. on a consistent basis. Then with the shift opening up, you're going to have these singles where those are like for sure runs. Because you have speed on the bases, so you know the game's gonna. I feel like the game's gonna kind of regulate itself a little bit, and I, I think that's exciting. So with this, I think what we've seen across the league is early indicators about what's gonna happen, but also just the potential that some of these teams might have to come surprise everybody. Hundred yeah. percent. Well, that's baseball talk with Chris Dickerson, Daily Stripe. We'll be back. All right, we're back, Daily Stripe, Chris Dickerson, great guest. Now let's talk some hoops. Championship Monday, my San Diego State Aztecs versus UConn Huskies. Yeah. Um, big game here. Um, obviously, this would be the second mid-major basketball team to ever win the national championship if San Diego State were to pull off this upset. And this would be a huge upset, in my opinion. Would it not? Absolutely. I Are they eight and, a, eight and a half, seven? Seven-point dog right now. Seven-point dog. Like, that's... yeah. I mean, that's probably a bigger. It's a bigger margin, uh, bigger spread margin than the Final Four matchup that the UConn Huskies had um, against Miami, which was like I think it was five points. It's like five and a half. I want to say it's a bigger spread than the Bama game too that San Diego State played. I think that was like six. I, that would make sense. I mean, like this is a team that almost wasn't in this game, and they had a heroic, heroic shot by Butler. Um, well, one of the, again, buzzer beater, buzzer beater like I think true, that was the first, first buzzer beater of the tournament. First true buzzer beater. Yeah. First like clock expiring like that. Um, the Furman shot was nearly a buzzer beater, right. but I think there was like 1.8 seconds left. So then whoever they were playing Virginia, right. Got to hug. Yeah. They got to, they got to chuck one up there, but, um, that was a, that was a game really that FAU game where I felt like FAU pretty much was commanding the narrative of the, of the game, the entire the entirety of it. Yeah. So San Diego State had the lead very, very early on. Uh, they went on a big like run. five four or something like yeah, that. Well, uh, no, it was like it was like fourteen or fifteen. They okay. went on like on like a fourteen zero run, and then FAU basically turned on the Jets and cruised the whole way until the very, very end. San Diego State clawed back. Um, but one of the things that once again, which they've done for the last three all games tournament in this long. tournament, yeah. So if there's any team that can handle adversity. Um, one of the things that stood out to me, of course, is, look, San Diego State is built on defense. Like, that's that's what they're going to say every single game, all season long, every season. Um, Brian Dutcher's defense is something that, if you haven't experienced it before, like, you better be prepared. That Our, our head coach, Rodney Terry at Texas, said that about 
this weekend going in. Yeah. Dutcher defense is different. Um, and in the FAU game, they let up 40 points in the first half, which is something they hadn't done all tournament. So that was very disheartening to me, but they locked down, right? Their next next half, it was a lot lower. Yeah. Um, one of the things that stuck to me was the offensive rebounds. They were getting almost every single offensive rebound towards the end of the game. They weren't capitalizing on all their shots, but if you win, we were saying most of these games, if you're winning the offensive rebound you know, discrepancy here, yeah, it's likely swinging in your favor. For sure, and I think that's something that the UConn Huskies do really, really well. Is they're big. They're big. They rebound. Sonogo was fantastic in that game against Miami. I mean, Miami, for all intents and purposes, has dominated every single game they've played this tournament. Um, when we were looking at the final four teams, you picked San Diego State to win, uh, I right? I think uh, you did. To win it all? You picked San Diego State to beat FAU and then, and then win against Miami. To lose against Miami. To lose yeah, against Miami. Whatever, you know. Um, but here they are. I am still riding with my final four pick. I certainly can't say that I, at the beginning of the tournament, said that the Huskies were going to win it all. But yeah. I just think they're too much of a buzzsaw. Um, but I hope that this is an incredible game because this has been an awesome tournament. Um, and I'm wearing this sweatshirt, so I, I would uh, I'd be doing myself a disservice, my mom a disservice, really, as she's a massive LSU Tiger fan, to not at least acknowledge. Because really, it's been the biggest story in sports today outside of the WWE um, Endeavor merger that what happened with Caitlin Clark, the Iowa Hawkeyes in the women's national uh, championship last night against Kim Mulkey and the LSU Tigers and Angel Reese and uh, Alexis Morris. It was an unbelievable game and it was a true testament of, especially in the sport of basketball, it is really, really difficult to win at the highest levels if you do not have a great team. Yeah. It is not enough to have the individual best talent in the league, which right. is what Caitlin Clark is, and she has one more year. She'll be a senior next year, and then we'll see what's going to happen with her in the WNBA, but I imagine she'll be pretty darn effective in that uh, in the W as well. But I don't know if you've seen – have you seen the kind of like the back and forth that's been going on with the, the celebrations? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, there. it's getting feisty. It's getting, <laughs> getting testy. Sorry, it's definitely getting testy. Um, yeah, I mean, Caitlin Clark throughout the tournament and and throughout her playing time at Iowa has been known to be a trash talker. Vocal, yeah, yeah. Well, the 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 um the lady for uh, Louisville came out in her press press conference and started talking trash as well. Haley Van Lith. Yep. Yeah, but she also there was like an on court interview where she was like, "It's all lo- like." It's all love. We all we're all competing at the highest level. They've all like, been playing against each other for years too. Right. And that's AAU and of course that's yeah. part of the that's part of the game, you know. And and for someone to kind of highly critique um, Angel Reese, the LSU um, forward, I guess she's kind of a center, she's kind of a, a four or five, for then doing the John Cena, you can't see me back at Kaylin yeah. Clark is like. I don't like what where it's it's apples to apples here. Like she should be able to do it if she's winning. Right. I, I get that like a lot of people had criticism of of her kind of following her around the court after they had already won and doing it at that point. But it's sports. Like we it is a competitive thing at kids. its core. They're also kids. But yeah, they're they're 20, 21, 19 years yeah. old. Like I don't think what when Trey Young put on his performance 
against the Knicks at the Garden and he bowed in front of everyone. Like, yeah, you 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 better believe that the Knicks yeah. fans booed him and all the Hawks fans were on board with it and everyone in the NBA had an opinion about it. Right. But I think that's what makes sports and competition so great. So I'll be interested to see um, <clears throat> just kind of as the dust settles coming into the game tonight, what the tensions are like between these two teams because um, there certainly hasn't been that sort of storyline in the men's side of things. It's been more so an appreciation of coaches like Dutcher, right. teams like the San Diego State, heavily uh, a veteran squad, guys like Matt Bradley, um, Mensa. I was talking about Sonogo, the guy in UConn. Like, Mensa is going to be really, really tested because he has been, I think, the Mountain West uh, Defensive Player of the Year for yeah. two years in a row. Yep. And so it's going to be him versus Sonogo, who scored 20-plus points against Miami. That'll be really interesting. But like I said, UConn, I think, just has a little bit too much firepower. Um, Andre Jackson, who will probably get drafted in the second round. And then um, his name is escaping me. They're, they're UConn's best player. Um, it's not Sonogo. He's not their best player, you don't think? He's not, which is like, that's the crazy he's thing. He's leading their team in points. I mean. He is, but um, I can't believe I'm forgetting this guy's name right now. But um, Hawkins. Oh, yeah. Hawkins is is their best player, and he'll be probably like a top twenty five pick. In, yeah, in the the first round. Yeah, to, to really quickly on LSU, really awesome first national championship that they've won. Yeah. in the women's basketball. So like, it's cool to see uh, a team that you know turns it all the way around and rebuilds. S- second something. year for Kim Mulkey as their head coach. Yeah, crazy outfits on the court. Yeah, nine nine new personnel members on this team this year. Yeah, from year one to year two. That's it's as good as you can hope for. So if you, I mean, like the transfer portal coming into action here. Yeah, big time. Um, but back to this San Diego State-UConn game. Look, for me, when I watch the San Diego State team, they miss so many buckets. They, they're they not a good shooting team. But they don't have an easy time scoring. They really? never have an easy time scoring, no. no. Uh, some of their guys, go, their top scorer is Matt Bradley, and he averages 12.7 points a game. <laughs> um, and sometimes he'll go missing, right? He'll start off really hot, like that last game, and then he... Doesn't There's hit a nowhere shot to be found for like 15, 16 minutes. And then hit that clutch three, though. Right, exactly. So I guess clutch time is when it matters most. But yeah, I mean, the guys that have been playing good defense all year got to play the best defensive game they've ever played. Yeah. I don't I, know if that's asking for too much, but I mean, at the end of the day, like this UConn team has not made it close for any team they've played. They this was the closest. They've, it was a 13-point game against Miami. That was the closest game. And it and at the majority of the game, the margin was wider than that. It was 18. It was 22. It was 17. Yep. I just think that they're a team that doesn't take their foot off the pedal. And fortunately for the games that San Diego State has played previously, they've been able to take advantage of those opportunities where the other offenses had their lulls right. and, claw, and claw their way back, like you said. And a lot of that has to do with their defense. But I just... I don't see how they can slow UConn down in transition. Right. They're so athletic. And then they both rebound really, really well. So I don't think that they're necessarily going to have an advantage. San Diego State's not going to have an advantage there. Um, but, I mean, I hope I hope it's a better game than the the margin, uh, the, the spread yeah. indicates. I mean, okay. I'm going to pick San Diego State just for my heart. Of course. But obviously, if you're looking at the trends, I feel like this line is a little lopsided. Like, you got to look and see how close San Diego State has played games. So, one point here, one point there, right? Kind of scratched it away. UConn's been dominating seven points. Like, that's it's like half of 
of the closest margin that you've gotten to. Yeah. Well, that's what I said about that last game. I was like five and a half points. Miami yeah. like hammered that. Yeah. So I, I think the line's going to get hammered here for UConn. Really? Yeah. At, at seven. What would this game mean for San Diego um, and and this city? Because I saw like there was someone that tweeted something about like being at the you 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 like yeah. clap back at whatever yeah, this yeah, tweet yeah, was because yeah. it seemed like they kind of didn't know what they were talking about. The it guy, was like a it was the guy a, had it, no clue what he was talking. It was about. an image of of Petco. Yeah, so I'll, I'll even pull up the tweet and I'll read it and I'll call this guy out because it, it's absolutely ridiculous. So. Essentially, San Diego State um, wins on the buzzer beater. Right. Like at pregame of the Padres game on Saturday. Okay. Right? It's, a, it's the third game of the season yep. at Petco Park. It's on a Saturday. Just so people know, like downtown San Diego, the gas lamp area, there's sports bars everywhere. So you can go get a beer. You can Because that's where Petco is. Yeah, you can have lunch and you can go to the ballpark. So I'm sure a lot of these people probably started watching the game at a bar. Yeah. And then they worked their way to Petco Park before the start of the game. And they had literally the game playing on one of the video boards and everyone saw the buzzer beater and everyone went crazy. Like it was pregame, not the entire like section wasn't filled up. But this guy, Sean Morash, haven't even heard of him before, but just saw a tweet. Uh, I guess he's a, a, a host for CBS radio, New York Giants guy, um, basically was saying that it's fraud fans in San Diego. Um, there's... There's like 160 games, or, or sorry, there's 80, 81 home games in Major League uh, Baseball. Like if you're a true diehard, um, like you're going to miss an, an elimination game to go to a Padres game. It's like, okay, slow your roll. Like a lot of these people probably had tickets beforehand. It's opening series weekend. You watch most of the game at a bar. You can follow on your phone. Like this means so much to the city. Like you don't necessarily even have to go to San Diego State. To just be from San Diego and be so close to a championship for the first time since 1998. That's yeah. when the Padres were in the World Series and got beat by the Yankees. Before that, they got beat by the Niners in, I think, 94 in the Super Bowl. And before that, it was 1984, Padres versus the Tigers. So, like, we have not gotten close to getting the championship very long. So this means a lot. This guy, Sean Marash, has that typical New York bias where – you're used to having the Giants win the Super Bowl. You're used to having the Yankees be there. You know, like this is rid a ridiculous take. Like it, it's so ridiculous because well, but I think for people that don't know, like San Diego State has become the city's team. college. Yeah, right? oh for sure. It, it like it's, there are other colleges there. Like, it's like USD yeah, there's exists. USD, like, but like that's not like a big sports school, right? So it's know? it's the equivalent of like our alma mater, like. Austin's biggest college right. school is the University of Texas. 100%. And and look, this guy is saying like, oh, they're not supposed to cheer if they're there. Like, okay, they play it on the video board and it's a buzzer beater. What are right. you supposed to And the game hasn't even started. You're yet. supposed to golf clap? Like, yeah. oh, that was Well, cool. I don't really necessarily like, know like the alternatives that he's suggesting because one, I'll tell you, like, I looked, my mom's an LSU fan. I looked at, at purchasing her a ticket, and I know it's the women's game, not the men's game. Um, and, and by that, I mean to say that I, I could imagine that the women's tickets were actually maybe more because Caitlin Clark was playing in, as opposed to the SDA, SDSU versus Connecticut. But I guarantee you that they're nowhere south of $350 for the worst ticket um, in Houston right? for this game. So. Yeah. Not everyone can afford to go. Even if you went to SDSU, SDSU and you're the biggest SDSU fan, you have a, 
YouTube account following SDSU and you have over 100,000 subs, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can afford getting to Houston, watching the Final Four, staying in a hotel, yeah. um, and going to this game. Like, I looked into flights, and they were, super, they were like $600 each way yeah, just to get to Houston from L.A., and that's like on you know Friday, Saturday, um, and then leaving on Tuesday. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely, and I'm sure the, the hotel prices, and then obviously on Saturday you got to pay for you got to pay the admission for two games, right? Because you're not gonna just like pay for one game and they're gonna show your way out. Like you have to pay for both games. But there's so many cities that have like groupings of teams, right? right? Like in New York, there's like. Your your Yankees, Rangers, Giants fans, right? right. That's what they always say, right? right. Like those. But teams in San Diego, it's literally just the pod, it's literally just the Padres and the Aztecs now. Yeah, Chargers are gone. A lot of people have have decided. And that was that. a very contentious split between yep. some people sticking with them yep. in San Diego and other people being like, no, they're not our team anymore. A lot of people like don't follow the NBA, and if they do, there are some Clippers fans because it started in um, San, Diego. San Diego. So yeah. like it's kind of all over the place. And then of course you have you know the women's soccer team. Um, which has been doing great. Um, but at the end of the day, like, it's really just Padres and, and Aztecs. What are they, the Wave? Yeah, the Wave. Yeah. Yep. And they also have a lacrosse team, too. Nice. I think it's called the Loyal. Because <laughs> hey. um, San Diego State and San Diego fans are loyal. <laughs> We're loyal to our, to our city and our team. But, no, I, I think I'll just, you know, end it with, it will it'll be so massive for the city of San Diego to finally bring a championship because there are people that have lived there and that have been alive for 50-plus years that have never seen their team win a championship. Because the last time a San Diego sports team won a championship, I think it was 1964, 1965, and it was the Chargers when they were in the AFL. Mm. Long time ago. And I think for UConn, they now, since 2000, maybe since 99. They've won three. They've won. Or this will be their third if they win, right? No, this would be their fourth. Oh wow! Because yeah, they right. won with Emeka Okafor. Yeah. They won with Kemba Walker, and then they won with Shabazz Sean Napier. Napier. Yep. So this would be their fourth. They also have the most Final Four appearances out of any college basketball program. Right. So they are really cementing themselves in in this. Um, I guess what are we talking? Upper about? echelon of Wait, what's of it? What's every blood. thousand years? Is that a millennium? What is it? Every thousand years is a millennium. Millennium? Millennium, I guess. I don't, I don't know. know. They're uh, the team of the millennium. They're, they, they're becoming that. They already are, I guess. Yeah, they're the team of this century. Okay, what do you... People were throwing this out there because Kim Mulkey now has... She's won with LSU. This is her second year as her head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, she also... Where she kind of got her start was at Baylor, and mm-hmm. she really turned that program into something special. She won, I think, multiple... I think she's won three national titles in total as a head coach. Is it more impressive to do what she's done where you go to two different programs and get them both to the title status right? or to be a Gino Ariyama type coach where he's won nine titles, but all at UConn staying in the same, the same school, the same pipelines, the same yeah. high schools that you're tapping into from a recruiting standpoint, but just building a winning culture. Nine is a lot. Nine's a lot. I, I would say if you if think she, so, th- the amount matters. It, yeah, I mean, if she can get to like, if she can get to like five or six, like that's really impressive. Yeah. Um, but nine is a lot. Right. That's ridiculous. I mean, I'm like, trying to think of like the comp. So it would be like, because Saban won at LSU. At LSU. Yeah, but won and obviously, 
but still he won. I mean, yeah. college football is different though. Well, yeah, they're yeah. both really, really challenging to to win at. But I feel like Urban with, Meyer with Gino's teams and UConn, like the best player in high school. If you were a a, a women's high school basketball player, you were going to UConn. Right. Maya Moore, Brianna Stewart, like that. I could just name, you know, I could name t- five to ten girls and women, and you know, that would be probably five to ten of the top 25 best yeah. WNBA players of all time. I think also, like, you have to consider, like, where the programs are. So, like, with Urban Meyer, like, he goes to Florida, he goes to Ohio State. Like, those are both programs that right. are, like, not super hard to win at. You know, I mean, they're 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 difficult, but they're not, like, mid-major schools. They're not, like, small conference. They're not, no, like, You've got established pipelines exactly. there before you even and, step foot And the on same campus. with LSU and For Bama, sure. right? But, like, building up a program like Baylor... That's pretty impressive. And yeah. I, and look, I don't think LSU women's basketball has been anything special over the um, years, right? They've been pretty solid. I would say, like, they have one of the best college basketball players that played that really kicked things off for them. I'd say since 2000, they've been a solid program. Right. Um, but, I mean, they hadn't won a title, so there you go. But a lot of it was, like, Don Staley, South Carolina, over the last five years, and Gino Ariyama were always in the way. Like, right. That UConn team. I mean, how many how many games in a row did they win? Like they, three and a half seasons where they didn't lose a yeah, game or something like that. It was like a hundred like and something. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I got snapped. How are you? Ridiculous. How can you expect any other team? Like you can't even look at them with a critical lens because it's like it's so dominant. you can't do anything. Yeah, it's out of this world dominant. Yeah. Um, but you know, just in terms of of the the men's championship this evening, um, I I don't know if you're a sports fan that doesn't have um loyalties to either of these teams. I don't know how you can be rooting for UConn, honestly. You, you got to root for the five-seed mid-major San Diego State. And look, I know UConn's a four-seed. A lot of people did expect them, but a lot of people did not expect them to make this run. Yeah. Because they're, you know you had Houston, you had Bam, you had Kansas, you had our Longhorns. Like A lot of people picked other teams. Gonzaga and UCLA were both in their region, too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they went through some tough, some, some tough matchups. But, I mean, just the story to bring the city of San Diego, their first title, um, to second mid-major ever to, to win a title uh brian dutcher taking over for steve fisher too like he's a guy who was literally under steve fisher his entire career yeah and when steve fisher decided to retire handed him the keys to the to the, the kingdom the san diego state kingdom and built this program and look we, we talk about this on our other shows as well that san diego state was kind of robbed of an opportunity that COVID year where they would have been a one seed Hmm. Right where they didn't end up having a with a, Malachi, a tournament. with Malachi, Flynn. yeah, with Malachi Flynn, it was a great team, and um, you know this is kind of their shot at redemption. You know, I, I kind of it's sad because like every year when I make a bracket, I make one bracket just for fun that has San Diego State going all the way and Texas going all the way if they're in different sides of the bracket. Yeah, and this is the one year I didn't do it, Ugh. and if I would have done it, like I guarantee I would have won all of our brackets. Yeah, I, I no def- one has San Diego State in their in their final. Unless they're an Unless SCSU they went fan. there and they're a right. yeah, yeah. I definitely think that, interestingly, like there were no one seeds in this Final Four, which I know is... No two st- seeds or three seeds. Right. So it's a statistical anomaly, um, but a lot of people, at least in the bracket challenge had that we UConn. had, had UConn. Yeah. Um, so there was some knowledge there that this, this was a team that was not to be trifled with, and they have stepped up big time. I mean, if they beat... If they cover... This is going to be an absolutely most dominant dominant tourney run. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure we can look, and there's probably been some pretty dominant ones in the past. But right. But but in a in a time where like 
again, there are no one, two, or three seeds. Like, this is the example, the prime example of parity in college basketball. Right. I also think that, like, and, and I'm t- all that to say, like, if you compared it to whatever other dominant run there was, I imagine that it's some team that had, like, Bill Walton or, like, Jabbar. Right, like, right, right. So it's, like, it's not even fair how much better they were. Yeah, and I also think that in a in a time and in a culture where gambling and and just, like, the brackets are so prominent, like, everyone makes a bracket. Now everyone makes a bracket. I don't know if that was the case 10 years ago. Um, but like not like my girlfriend makes a bracket, you know, like, I mean, at least I would imagine like mom makes a bracket, it like, really started. The heavy push was like when the internet became highly right. used by everyone. So like probably 2000 is when probably and, like 2005 is when like the brackets were like really, but, but I mean like even if you don't follow college basketball, like you just make one just to have yeah. fun, you know, just to like be a part of kind of like pick which mascot you like better. It, like, exactly. What, exactly. Like win a gift card. Like, like that's what my girlfriend's work is doing. Um, and the fact that like gambling is also integrated into this as well, like there's legalized gambling now, that covering the spread is like such a big deal. Like if you're betting on UConn every single matchup here, you're cruising. So yep. who do you have? Really I I am going to pick objectively UConn, but I will be rooting for SDSU with you. SDSU, wear the cherry stripe. Go Aztecs. See you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.